Hello, and welcome to the Language of Mindfulness podcast. This is a podcast for people who want to have more great conversations in your life. You want to connect, you want to speak authentically, and you want to listen deeply. This is how to do it, and it's the real deal. So why should you listen to the Language of Mindfulness? Because in every episode, I'm going to give you tips and guidance I've learned in my pretty extensive career of coaching and practice from the best and brightest in the field of interpersonal communications, public speaking, meditation, group leadership, and somatic psychology. And we're going to have interviews with some amazing people about their groundbreaking work. It's my goal to give actionable and uncommon tips and advice in every episode that you can implement right away. So subscribe or follow now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you don't listen, you're going to miss some great stuff that you just won't hear anywhere else. I'm your host, Brett Hill, and welcome to the Language of Mindfulness. There's something I want to talk about that I'm not sure exactly how to go about it. And so I might have some long pauses in this thread while I figure out the words to use. So bear with me, if you will. The work of learning to be mindful and present in your life, in your heart, connected to a deeper truth than what most people see in the moment, and letting that inform your in-the-moment experience so that your words are different and your feelings are different and what occurs you to say is different. This is hard work. And it, it requires something more than just the desire to not be suffering. You have to do things different. You have to be willing to try to shake up your habituated way of responses. And I don't mean to be diminishing and saying, oh, your petty habituated ways, <laughs> but more. We are, and when I say that, we are all automatic. Because we all have a brain. We all have a nervous system that takes things that we do over and over again and turns them into non-thinking, automatic, robotic types of actions. When you wake up in the morning, do you try to figure out how to tie your shoe? Is it like, how does this work? I, I have no idea. Look at these strings. I, I think there's a way to make them together so that my shoe will stay on. No, of course not. That'd be ridiculous, right? And at the same time, do you even give it a thought as an adult or even as a child after you do it, you know, 10 or 20, 30 times? No, you just do it. You just, it's muscle memory. But it didn't used to be. It used to be an effort. It was like, oh man, this is a pain in the ass to figure out how to put this string here and put your finger here and pull on the bows and not make it too big or too tight or too little. It's a, it's a hassle to learn. And for that reason, you have to effort. And this is where I differ with Eckhart Tolle and some other, who I appreciate immensely. 
he will say, like, I don't give my students time. And I get it. I really do. I truly, really do. Because at my heart, I'm a mystic. And I understand from direct experience that being present in the moment will connect you to a mystery that will blow your mind. And once blown, it can't be unblown. Right? Once you've seen the answer to a puzzle, you can't unsee it. You can't, the puzzle's not a mystery anymore. But, well, he'll say, well, you don't need time. But our, neur- our neurons do, right? In the sense that if, if it were possible for you just to kind of stop everything, stop your thought, look around you, have direct experience of beauty so deep and so profound that every cell in your body was impacted by the fact that deep within it, there is a reaction going on that's releasing energy in every single cell that's causing it to be alive and that every atom of your being is supporting the expression of you in this moment. If you really, really felt that, well, you'd be having a pretty profound moment. And there's nothing between you and that experience except for your willingness to let it be so. And you can say, well, I'm willing to let it be so, and you can think it. But the body has to be willing as well. And so when I say you have to be willing, I mean in multiple levels, multiple dimensions. You can't just think it and wish it so any more than you can wish that you weren't suffering and have it be so. It takes action. It takes, you have to learn to tie the shoe. That's the nature of the beast. This means you have to stop doing things that are taking you away from a deeper experience of your truth. <laughs> and right now I have a dog snoring in the background and that's part of my truth. <laughs> maybe you can hear me, maybe you can't. This means efforting. This means trying something different. It means training your neurology to behave differently than it does all by itself. If you just let your nervous system do what it wants to do, and that's what most people do, you know, and I'm not going to say they're wrong or bad. I'm just going to say it's kind of sad because they're not inhabiting the massive opportunity um, imbued to them by virtue of the fact that they incarnated as a human being. And we are each capable of having this magnificent experience, even though 
we can be victims and have horrible and really truly tragic things happen in our lives. And I'm not trying to say that you just, oh, whatever, it's okay if people abuse me, it's okay if I have a shitty job or if I have a crappy relationship or my parents treat me like crap or I have a birth defect or what. No, I'm not saying that those things are good and that justice shouldn't be strongly, aggressively uh, asserted. <laughs> my, I'm pretty active about my boundaries in that regard and what I wish for others. So you have to do something different. You have to be willing to connect to a desire in you that will drive you to behave in ways that are going to cause you to be uncomfortable and also will yield incredible results for you. Now, this is the trick. This is where, you know, Eckhart Tolle is right in the sense that if you keep putting yourself in the future, if you say, well, I want to achieve these great things in the future, these things in the future are what I'm after, and therefore my happiness is in the future, and so that you can't have it now, right? Well, yeah, that's true. And if you camp out on that and that becomes your your reason for living is for the thing that you are going to achieve, then it's true that you can wind up disconnecting yourself from satisfaction in the moment. However, it's also true that you simply cannot learn to ride a bike without desiring to ride the bike first, getting up and falling off a few times. And so you a desire to achieve facility with bike riding. And that is a future thing because you simply neurologically do not have the skills. And so if when you're, I mean, you're not born that way. Most people, I mean, I'm sure there's somebody who was, but uh, you know, the vast majority of hum- humanity uh, didn't, inherit the attribute of the DNA for bike riding just from birth. And so consequently, it's something you have to learn to do, like many, 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 many bazillion other things, right? So you have to say to yourself, there's a future, there's a skill that I wish to develop, and I'm going to iterate through the skills. Mindfulness is one of those skills, It is an inherent nature of the mind. And I guess I should say it's one of those skills because, (laughs) well, for a couple of reasons, but one of them is primarily because we have been rehearsed out of it. It's sort of like we had an inherent capability to be present, somatically present, as children, you know, very powerfully. But as our brains develop and as we engage in life, we learn that thinking and ideas and dreams and comparisons and, um, you know, they've got more than me, they're better looking than me, I'm not as good as them, and all those messages that get reinforced by this, the culture, like, oh, you've got to have all the bling and you've got to, you know, you've got to win the gold medal and you've got to be the popular person or the great talent or the be a bazillion links on TikTok or whatever it is that's in the future that you think, oh, if only I could have that, then I'll be more. I'll be whole or more whole. And then lo and behold, 
you you don't have to take my word for this. If you live long enough, you'll figure this out. Or you can read what other people who've already achieved a great deal. And they look back and go, you know what? It's not that satisfying. It's, you know, you don't want to be impoverished. And hopefully that's not the case for you. And if it is, you know, God bless you. And that has its own set of struggles. But even in that there can be a great beauty in the moment, not because of your impoverishment, but your impoverishment, the state of what you own, and, and in a certain way, your circumstances, and this is another one of Becker Tolle's teaching, your circumstances really don't have much to do with who you are. It has to do with your opportunity, let's say. But are you a loving person? Are you kind? Do you care? Are you connected to beauty, grace? Are you connected to justice? Are you connected to truth? Everybody's a little different. Everybody's wired. These are what the things I'm naming are what are called absolutes. And in some way, we all have, we're all wired to some absolute or set of absolutes. It's kind of foundationally who we are. And it doesn't really matter what happens to you. You, you still have those foundational attributes. When you connect to beauty, when you look in the sky, you look at the mountain, you look at the face of something beautiful or whether, and I don't mean necessarily classically beautiful, but something that strikes you, that resonates with you is, oh my God, that's, that's beauty. That's amazing. And you let that sense inform your body, your mind, your feelings, and you feel it in a deep way without resisting. You are then connecting to something that is not the object, not the mountain, not the sky, but beauty itself. And you are effectively the beauty within you, recognizing and in communion with the beauty in the universe. You're basically gazing upon, and as as, um, narcissistic as this may sound, try to go deeper than that, basking in the beauty of beauty, right? It's beauty basking in the beauty of beauty. It's not self-reflection. It's transcendent from that. It's not like, oh, the you, the the unit of you, the personality of you, going, oh, look, I'm just as beautiful as that. It's... far, far more foundational. It's like life celebrating life. When you have that communion, that experience, which is available to us, and this is where Eckhart is absolutely right, that is available to us at any moment. That does not take time. What takes time is um, the capacity to kind of like have that kind of on request, on demand in a persistent way to get back to it. So you could do a mindfulness meditation. That's the whole purpose of a mindfulness meditation. To sit down, connect to your somatic experience. I'm breathing, I'm noticing my breath. And 20 seconds later, you're thinking about 
you know, something you said, something that was dead, something you're worried about tomorrow, yesterday, whatever. You're thinking about something else. You're not paying attention to your breathing because you don't have the capacity to do that for more than a few seconds. And nobody does it these days. But you can build and develop. This is the riding the bike. You Then you notice, oh, I'm not paying attention to my breath. Okay, that moment, that very moment that you notice, that is the awakening of mindfulness in you. And it's a prefrontal cortex capacity in your brain. That part of your neurology is the part that has the capacity to do that. And so by rehearsing that, you do back to it, take a breath. I'm just going to pay attention to my breath, breathing. What's it feel like? I'm noticing the temperature. I'm noticing how I feel in the chair. I'm noticing the clothes on my skin. I'm noticing the the, gra- the way the gravity, the way gravity affects me. Breathing, coming back to all these in the moment experiences. Here's a, here's a, um, an important lesson, and this is also from Eckhart Tolle. The body is always in the moment, right? So you can always come back to your moment through the body. Coming back to the body, paying attention over and over repeating the coming back, repeating the coming back, repeating the coming back. Then, when you look out over someone's talking to you and they say something mean or hurtful or even loving and kind, and you notice, what's this feel like in my body? Oh, I want to back up. I want to contract. Or, oh, I feel like I just, I'm in contact with beauty again. (laughs) I feel like my heart wants to expand. I want to hug them. I want to get close to them, or I want to back off from them because I'm afraid. It doesn't. I'm not. In, none of these things are. I mean, obviously, it'd be better to feel good than bad. But the point here is, paying attention to your experience in the moment, saying, "Oh, this is so." What the truth of my experience is that I want to back up. The truth of my experience is I want to relax and feel warm in response to what I just heard, and just saying yes to that truth. Now, maybe if someone's being hurtful to you, you're not saying yes to them. You're not saying, oh, it's okay that they're hurtful. But you're not going, oh, well, it's not true. And I should be having another moment. I should be having a different one. And I'm going to get really angry and upset and pissed off because they're not being to me the way that I wish they were being to me. And this is straight out of Eckhart Tolle's teachings. I'm wishing for them to treat me in a way that they aren't treating me. And my anger about that gap is where you choose to live. They should have treated me better. They didn't do the right thing by me. They were like, and it's maybe very true that they should have been. But the fact is that they weren't. So which is a better experience for you to be railing about what isn't so and will not become so no matter how much you're railing about it or simply go, yeah, that sucks. They treated me badly. Here's who I am going to be in the face of those facts. And who I'm going to be is not someone who is resisting the truth of that experience. And the truth of it is it sucks. I wish it were different. It's not different. And now what? Now... You're in a place to respond from a 
place of empowered acceptance of your reality. Now you can look at this other person and you can go, I don't know what's up with them. I don't know why they did this. But here's the way I wish things to be better. I wish things could I, I don't want that experience again. So no, I'm not speaking to them. I'm going to say, hey, don't contact me. That's my boundary. Remember I said earlier, I have clear boundaries. This is one of the reasons why. It's like, I don't want to engage in those kinds of games. I deserve my self-worth as such that if you can't treat me respectfully in a conversation, we are not going to have a conversation unless there's I, I'm invested in some way in the relationship. And someone I care about and they're going off and people do get angry and they, they say mean things, but I care, my heart's in it and I, I care about the relationship so I'm going to invest in that regard. And I know they're not being themselves. And, you know, you make compensations for those kinds of things, you make adjustments. It's not like, you broke the law, the law of my boundary and so consequently you're out. I mean, there's a place for that. If that's a problem for you, <laughs> if you're the kind of person that doesn't have a boundary, clear I have a lot of practice establishing, setting, and defending boundaries. That's a good thing to do for a while in your life so that you're not always renegotiating them all. And then you'll learn over time what can and can't be negotiated. Anyway, I'm digressing a little bit. So going back to the fact that you have to do things differently. You have to practice. You have to accept the fact of your life. The who are you in your life? The good and the bad. And this is, uh, I have a, uh, I have an episode that's called, I think it starts with a powerful meditation. Um, and it's, it's an exercise on saying yes to the circumstances in your life. And again, I want to be really super clear on this because this is like one of the most common questions repeated a thousand times a day when people start on this kind of a path. Acceptance does not mean approval. Right? I accept the fact that I got hurt or injured by somebody in my life. My, or let's just use a, another example that's not so challenged or charged. you driving down the road, you have a flat tire. Are you going to just be all bent out of shape? I have a flat tire. Gosh, dang it, that friggin' flat tire is ruining my life and I just, you know, I just, it's making me miss this big thing I really was looking forward to and yes, that's true, but all that anger does not fix your flat. So the question is, do you just go, ah, I have a flat. Yes to the flat. Yes to the fact that there is a flat. Do you want it to be different? Yes. What do you do? Fix the flat. Move on. Go on. And oh, look, isn't that a beautiful sky? <laughs> Versus, I'm having a shitty time. By choice, you're choosing that. Now, you're, the, the, there's a little bit of a lie in that in the sense that if, you're no, if there's no one home, if you don't have this wired up in your brain to where you have the capacity to go, I'm noticing that I'm going to get friggin' angry as hell here and take a breath and go look at that sky 
Isn't that spectacular? And I don't mean to distract yourself, but I mean, well, maybe for a minute to take the edge off this, some, this limbic surge, right? Can't be in touch with beauty and angry at the same time. <laughs> but at the same time, you don't want to walk around in escape of the fact that you're really having a bad experience. This is not pleasant. Yeah. Well, I should say you're having a bad set of circumstances occur. So, yeah, it's unfortunate. Acknowledge that. Accept it. Yes, it's bad. And now I can take an effective action and I can be calmer about it. I can be st more still, more efficient, more effective. And now I can make, I make a better decision. Oh, no, I'm not going to pull off on this side of the road. I'm going to pull off on the other side of the road because it's safer over there. Uh, and I'm going to engage in this process this way instead of this other way, which I might not have noticed because I was angry. And therefore, it goes faster, safer, better, easier than it would have otherwise. And all of that needed to happen anyway. So you're just making your life better by being present and conscious with your experience and making a choice to be different in the moment. And that brings me full circle. You have to make these choices to do things differently. You can't um, just, well, most people just can't drop into this kind of a state. It takes some practice. And so just going back, once again, I hope, I hope I've made the case clear about how it is that that there's a teacher out there, Eckhart Tolle, super popular, who says, um, and I, like I said, I love him stuff, I really do, um, about you don't need time, you can just drop into being. And you can, as long as your neurology will permit it. You can't just will yourself there if you don't have the wiring. When you are out of control, when you're already over the top and your limbic state is, and limbic is your emotional feeling state, is flooded with, you know, hormones and you're out of control or maybe in a trauma response, you're not going to be able to just instantly take a breath and go, okay, I'm chill now. It's just not going to happen. There's a thing I, I like, lately I've been thinking about it called organic time. Once you're in that hyper aroused state and you decide that you don't want to be there, there are things you can do. Um, you can do the box breathing. You can look that up. You know, do Google search on box breathing. You can, if you have a mindfulness practice and you do this coming back to your breath, then you can take, I'm going to take a pause, take a breath, feel into how friggin' angry and pissed off I am about whatever's going on in your life that's got you over the top. Angry, upset, unhappy, depressed, you know, irritated, whatever that is. Or, on the other hand, cerebral can be kind of uh, out of center with the other side, too. I'm excited, I'm ecstatic, I'm thrilled, I'm overcharged, I'm, ex you know, that can be just as um, distracting from presence in a way. If you ever see somebody who's really manic, you know what I mean? They're, or you ask them if they're happy and they're going to go, oh my God, yeah, but. Do they feel like they're really grounded in their experience of this ecstaticness? No, they feel like they're they're like um, a sparkler, you know, the, that's going off. Just, just like there's not much substance to it, uh, but it's intense for them. It's kind of like a water hose gone awry. It's just kind of like shooting all over the place with this intensity. Uh, it's intense, but it's... There's no center to it. And so we're really talking about that, having a center, developing this, sometimes I call it gravity, center of gravity.
And if you don't develop a center of gravity, you will orbit around someone who does or something who does that makes you feel like you have a center. And that's a whole other topic. We'll talk about that some. We'll talk about that next time. So, that's been on my mind. I hope that was somewhat clear. <laughs> and um, write me. You know, I've been doing this episode, these episodes now for, I think this is number 31 or 32. It's been close to, you know, eight or nine months now. And I'd like to hear from you guys. Um, does anybody out there listening? Reach me, contact me, Brett Hill, or I'll just say at Brett at languageofmindfulness.com or go to my website, languageofmindfulness.com and uh, you can reach me through there if you like. I'm easy to reach and I'm happy to talk to you. Thanks, Tom. Bye. So that's a wrap on today's edition of the Language of Mindfulness podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it. If so, please leave us a review on iTunes and follow along on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. We'd really appreciate it. And check us out at languageofmindfulness.com where you can sign up for a free coaching session. And because we get so many questions on this, you can access how to start a mindfulness meditation practice at languageofmindfulness.com forward slash now. Thanks a ton, and we're looking forward to a lot of great new content coming up as well. Have a great one, and stay present. Thanks.